Uh, so our reading today um, is, we have two. The first one is Psalm 8, and you'll find that on page 386. And we'll start at one. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him for glory and with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beast of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. And our next reading is from Ephesians. Uh, you will find that on page... 827 and we're going to start at uh, Ephesians 15, 1, 15 to 23. <coughs> For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in, in present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, well, uh, let's pray and then we'll think about Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we shared this morning to think about your word. We pray that you'd help us to understand more of it. And we pray that you'd help us to grow as your people because we've considered it today. Help us to respond the right way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've noticed that prayer at times can be both easy at times 
and yet sometimes difficult at, at times. Have you had that experience before? How many times have you thought to yourself, yes, I should pray about that and those kinds of things more often and yet found that prayer can be a hard thing to do? Paul speaks to uh, the Colossians and he talks about Epaphras, one of their fellow workers, how he wrestles in prayer with them and he acknowledges that prayer can be a hard thing to do. It's a, it's a wrestle. And yet at other times it seems to be a pretty easy thing to do, doesn't it? Think about when you're uh, taking off in a plane. Well, it's pretty easy to pray at those times and I think it's even easier when you're coming into landing in a plane, especially if it's Indonesia in the wet. Well, we can also find it easy to pray when there's only one spot, like when we're trying to apply for a job and we want everybody else to miss out and we want the one thing. Those are times when it's easy to pray. And for the uh, nine o'clock congregation, I had this example, when we want our place in the retirement village, when our spot comes up. I don't know if there's any folk who fit the bill here for that one. But there's also one for the youth. Uh, it's easy to pray when we want to go out with that extra special someone who we've set our heart on. Doesn't it come easy to pray then, youth? Now, I should have you listening by now. Well, sometimes prayer can come naturally to us and God calls us not to be anxious about anything, to, but to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. But I wonder if we could also grow in our prayer life. I wonder if we could move forward onto other good things rather than simply the things that come naturally to us. Well, perhaps today, as we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, we might be able to expand our horizons and we can start to think about other good things that we might be able to build into our prayer life. Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and we see that Paul pours out something of his heart. In verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He talks about for this reason, which is about uh, the Ephesians being included in Christ uh, when they heard the, the gospel, the word of salvation. And then he goes on to give thanks. There's Paul. You can picture him. He's stuck in prison. He's probably in Rome. He may be under house arrest. And it's unlikely that he's there having a great time in prison. But while he's there, he gets some good news. He hears about the faith of some of these Ephesians, some of these Gentiles, and they've come to a living trust in Jesus as their Lord. And so Paul comes to prayer and he gives thanks to God for their faith in Christ. And we can learn something from this prayer of Paul's, can't we? We can also give thanks to God, can't we, for the people that we know throughout life who've become Christians over the years. And we can also give thanks for the children that we know who are growing from a childlike faith in Jesus to a more adult faith where they understand the implications more of what they're believing. The next thing that we notice is that Paul also gives thanks, as he writes to the Ephesians, for the love that they've got for all the saints, for all of God's people. This word saints is the, is the word that means the holy ones. It can refer in places to 
the Jerusalem church or some Jerusalem uh, Jewish Christians, but it's also used as a general word referring to all of God's people. You don't have to be someone extra special or famous like Mary McKillop uh, to be a saint. Uh, the key is that we've got trust in Jesus. We're included in God's people. But he goes on to say that he's joyful for their lives because they have love for the saints. Their, their lives are characterised by love for all of God's people. Now, it might be hard for us to appreciate some of the difficulty that this was in the first century because there was a great divide between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians initially. Uh, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't mix very well and so there was a separation. And even today, within uh, Christianity, racial distinctions can make it hard for some to love their Christian brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's sad, not always surprising, when we see malice between different racial groups uh, in the world. I've seen that... Uh, well, we've all probably seen it, but one example I noted was uh, some, a professional soccer player who was talking about... My, my examples always have soccer players in them, don't they? But anyway, bear with me. Uh, this particular guy was a Croatian, and he said something to the effect about a player who he played with who was a Serbian. And he said, well, they had respect for each other as footballers, but that's where it ended. Uh, they weren't... Well, he said, in the end, he's a Serb and I'm a Croat, which was his way of saying, we're not about to mend fences and we're not going on family holidays together anytime soon. But life shouldn't be like that in God's church. We need to remember that God's church is made up of people from all different tribes and languages and backgrounds. Furthermore, God's word reminds us there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. And so as Paul writes, he's a bit excited because he commends the Ephesians on the fact that they've actually got love for all of God's people, not just their own kind. Well, how would we go if Paul heard about our church? Would he be excited to hear that we have a solid faith in Jesus, that we're living out our faith, uh, that it can be seen in our lives? Would he be able to commend us on the love that we have for all kinds of people, even with our differences? Well, I hope so. But there's always room, isn't there, for us to look uh, at our hearts, areas that we might be weak in, uh, prejudices we might have, areas that we harbour sin, and it's good for us to think about strengthening and improving and growing in our Christian maturity. It doesn't matter how mature Christians are, they can always think about areas to grow. And so the challenge remains for us to continue to be those people who are solid in our faith, but also overflowing in love for all of God's people. Well, the second point in our outline is that Paul continues to pray for the church. We pick it up in verse 17, if you're reading along. Verse 17 says... I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now I take it that when Paul prays this, he wants the Ephesians to benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
in helping them to understand God's wisdom and also what God's revealed in the gospel of Jesus. In verse 13, we're told that they've already received the Holy Spirit. And he hasn't forgotten verse 3 also, where they're told they've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. So it's not as though these Ephesians are missing out on some uh, spiritual experience. But here, Paul's praying that they might benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of wisdom and revelation. Those are the two things that he, he sets out. Now, wisdom has already been recorded for us in chapter 1, verse 7 and 9, and it's bound up with knowing God's activity in Christ for salvation. And the Holy Spirit's role is about revelation. He's to reveal the deep things of God, God's mysteries, to God's people. So Paul seems to be saying he's praying that they benefit from the Holy Spirit's work in understanding God's wisdom and revelation. It's important for us to know about God's wisdom, isn't it? In the wisdom of God, it's quite different to the world's wisdom. Uh, the world wouldn't have thought about a plan of salvation that involves a saviour who enters the world, who dies and rises again on, from a cross, and someone who pours out Holy Spirit into our hearts to make us God's people. That's not the world's wisdom, but that's God's wisdom. And Paul wants these people to appreciate God's wisdom. He wants them to come to terms with God's wisdom and God's revelation so they might know him better. There's the goal at the end of verse 17. The goal of the prayer about the Holy Spirit is that they may know him better. Well, how well do you know God? The Bible tells us that we have come to be able to know God because God has first made himself known. He's provided a way for us to get to know him. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul's explained how people can become part of God's family. It's by grace through trusting in the work of Christ. And the point is that if we are a Christian, we do know God. We're adopted as his children. We're members of his family. And yet Paul can still say he wants us, he, he wants the Ephesians and us by default to get to know God better. He wants us to grow in our relationship with God. So is there room for us to grow as Christians? Well, I think there probably is room. Uh, God teaches us that although we're saved by grace, we can still seek to grow in our love for God. We can still think about areas that we can be more obedient to God. We can work at keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can be vigilant when it comes to putting to death sin and we can seek to know the love of Christ, as Paul says, that surpasses knowledge. We can seek to actually be more faithful, obedient children and to grow in our love and in our relationship with God. May God help us to be people who aren't backsliders in the Christian life, but those who actually want to keep moving forwards. The next thing that Paul does is praise that the church will grow in their knowledge of God and to appreciate what God's done for them. And there's three main parts to this. We'll pick it up in verse 18 and see if you can spot the three parts. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's interesting language to talk about the eyes of your heart being enlightened. In the past, this group of Ephesians were described as those who were darkened in their understanding. But now that they've become Christians, Paul wants them to live by the, the light that's coming into their hearts. In the Bible, the heart is not so much what's beating in our chests when we ride up a hill and notice our heart rate go up. It's, uh, it's the whole inner life of a person with feelings and emotions. And Paul wants their whole lives to be enlightened about three things. And the first one is the hope to which they're called. That's the first thing. He wants them to be enlightened about the hope to which they've been called to. In chapter 1, we learn that God has a hope for them. That is, that they're predestined to be adopted as his people. In chapter 4, Paul writes, There's one body and one spirit, just as there is one hope that belongs to your call. And Paul wants them to be familiar with that hope, that, that plan of salvation that's bound up with the hope of where they're going. The second thing, Paul wants their hearts to be enlightened about the future. That they may know, verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now that idea builds on verse 14, which talks about an inheritance that God gives to his people. In verse 14, the Holy Spirit is like a deposit or a down payment on that glorious future to come. Like when someone goes to uh, buy your house, you're very glad when they give you the deposit because you know that they're going to buy your house. And if they don't, you keep their deposit. But in this case, it's a lot more certain than that. Uh, we get the Holy Spirit in view of the fact that we're going to have this glorious inheritance. And here... Paul's praying that they'll be enlightened, that they'll actually get a handle on how wonderful their future is going to be with God. The third thing that Paul wants them to be enlightened about is the power of God in their lives. That they may know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul continues to explain what God's power is like. In verse 19b, if you're following along, he says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated at him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. Paul's making the point that God's power is available to us and we need the eyes to see it. God's already worked powerfully within our lives in the past. God's guided us, he's led us to Jesus, that we might see the, the sin in our hearts and our need to repent and turn. That's been God's direction and guiding in our lives. And God's power is still now available to us. Paul talks about uh, later in the letter, how we have a struggle that we need God's power for. He goes on to make the point that 
Our struggle or wrestle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And because God's power is still now available to us, God helps us, Paul tells these Christians that they should be praying for all kinds of things, for the other Christians, and they should be praying for Paul that he continues to proclaim the gospel boldly and call other people to know God. Paul compares this power of God in our lives to the power of raising Jesus from the dead. The point is that God's made him alive again, that Jesus is ascended into heaven, he's enthroned and he reigns. He reigns as king over all spiritual powers and authorities. But perhaps we don't always appreciate God's power in our lives, what he's done in the past and what he's doing now. Now, as a kid, uh, I used to look at ants through a magnifying glass. And you'll be glad to know that I didn't always burn them. That's right. Not always. But one day, I had a birthday, and I got given a microscope. And I was amazed to see that you should see an ant fairly well under a magnifying glass, but the power of the microscope was so much more. I could see a lot more of the ant with that. And as Christians, we have an appreciation of God's power in our lives, but Paul wants us to appreciate God's power even more. He wants us to understand that what God's done in our lives can be compared to his power in raising Christ. We should appreciate it all the more. I hope that magnifying glass and microscope example is helpful there. At times we can find it easy to gloss over God's work in our lives in the past and in the present, but we should feel the weight of God's commitment to keep us persevering, uh, his work in our lives to help us fight the good fight and press on until the end. Paul prays that people would recognise God's power. Well, finally, Paul praises God. As he prays for the Ephesians, his language starts to roll over in praise to God for what God has done in Christ. When God raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I'm reading from verse 21 now. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, these are some dense verses, but the actual take home message here is one of comfort for God's people. In power, God's raised Jesus, and He's more than just ruling over those things that Catherine read out to us in Psalm 8. Do you remember what people were to rule over? The cattle, the sheep. The fish of the sea, all those sort of things. Well, Jesus rules over those things as a person, but he, I'll read it out. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. This is a, a quote in Ephesians from Psalm 8. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Well, Paul's reminding us that since Jesus died and rose, that he's exalted and throned and reigns as king, 
in the heavenly places, the news is that whatever else there is in the universe, whatever spiritual powers and things, well, Jesus doesn't just reign over the fish of the sea and the, and the flocks. He reigns over everything, all spiritual powers. He dominates. They're in submission to him. Jesus has been appointed as the head or the authority over everything. And we're told that that's actually for the benefit of God's people. It's for the church. Because Jesus reigns over all, we don't need to be terrified by any spiritual powers, any forces of evil. For they're subject to Jesus, who's Lord over all. He's in control and he cares for us. Well, it's good for us to pray, isn't it? And God wants us to pray about all kinds of things. So you can pray about getting that car park outside the bank when you're driving down the street. You can pray for a raise in your wage. And you can pray that your kid's soccer team beats my kid's soccer team, if you like. But today we've looked at some of Paul's priorities in prayer. And he gives thanks to God for the faith that some of these Christians have. He gives thanks to God that they've actually got some love in their lives that's genuine for all of God's people. He prays that they might know from the Holy Spirit about God's wisdom that's revealed in the gospel. He prays they might get familiar with the hope that they've been called to, this plan of God's salvation, what God's done. He prays that the church would understand the kind of future that they're coming to, that glorious inheritance. And he prays that people would get a handle on understanding God's power, both God's power in their life in the past and God's power towards us even now. And finally, Paul praises God, who raised up Jesus, who's enthroned as king over all things, over all enemies and over all spiritual forces. We don't need to be terrified by any spiritual forces. Jesus is in authority over all of them. And so that's a comfort to us because he's in control and he reigns over all. We don't need to be terrified. We submit to him as Lord and he cares for us. Those are wonderful things. So as we think about prayer, let's keep um, wrestling with how to keep growing our prayer lives along those lines. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for the work that you've begun in our lives to bring us to a living trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would bear the fruit of that salvation. We pray that you'd help us to have genuine love for all of your people, despite differences that we might have. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to appreciate your wisdom, which is different to the wisdom of the world. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to get a handle on the hope that we have, your, your plan of salvation and the wonderful inheritance which is coming uh, at the end of the ages for us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to appreciate uh, your power that's worked in our lives in the past and that your power that works in our lives even now as we bring our prayers to you. Lord, we give you thanks that Jesus is Lord of all and that we do not need to be terrified by uh, any dimension of the universe that's evil. We give you thanks that he is in control and that he cares for us. We thank you for this um, passage that we've had a chance to look at this morning and for these encouraging things. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.